You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving and uh, got some time with friends or family and time to rest and all that stuff, eat some good food. Um, it's good to be with you today. If you're visiting with us today, uh, so glad that you've joined us and uh, hope that you feel welcomed and, and uh, encouraged in your walk with God or, or your exploration of who Jesus is. We just love that you're here and love a chance to get to know you. Uh, well, today we are uh, wrapping up the four-part series we've been in called Teach Us to Pray. And uh, so far in this series, the whole point of it has literally been uh, to ask God to teach us to pray and like to meaning like teach us to actually do it, right? Like teach us to pray, teach us to do this, God, because we want to be a church family. As a church family, we want to be a, a family that prays. And so we're asking God, God, will you teach us to pray? As we've taken that request to God, we've seen how God answers us in his word with a number of things that will really encourage us or help us to actually pray, to engage God in prayer. And so a little bit of recap, if you haven't been here, you can kind of catch up here. For those who have been here, this is kind of a refresher for you. But the very first week we said, okay, this is what God's word says. If it's gonna, you want to learn to pray, to actually do it, then it really begins with the desire to want to be with God. That whenever you treasure God, it will lead you to pray because prayer is one of the main ways that you commune with and communicate with God. And so if God is who, if you want to know God, if you want to experience God, if that's, that's a hunger within you, then you will pray. So that, won't, that will drive you to do it. Then week two, Justin taught, he said, uh, another thing that will drive us to pray, what God shows us in his word, is that if you want to actually partner with God and what he's doing in the world, then you'll pray. Because prayer in this kind of mysterious, unbelievable kind of way allows us to partner with God and what he's doing to redeem, to reconcile, to change the world, to heal the world of its brokenness. So if you want to partner with God in that, you'll pray. And then in week three, very practically, Justin taught last week, he said, okay, (laughs) what we see in Scripture, if you want to actually pray, then one of the things that will really help you is if you get some people to help you. (laughs) Because praying, sustained prayer, praying regularly, it's hard. It's hard to be someone who prays a lot. So we need people in our lives that will come alongside of us and help us pray. And when people, when the church gathers to pray and pray persistently, we see that God actually answers those prayers in crazy revival kind of ways. And so we say, okay, if you want to pray, get some people in your life that you'll pray with. You need some help. So the hope is, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands to see if this is true, but the hope is of, you know, behind this whole series is that by this point of time, y'all are all praying more <laughs> because we've seen, okay, here, God teach us to pray. God's been teaching us. Here's the things that will help us pray. And now we're praying more. Hopefully that's true. And hopefully you've been engaging in the 33 days of prayer. The go with us prayer guide has been a great resource for me. I'm just loving that. I hope that y'all are enjoying that. And God's teaching us to pray more. But here's the thing. If that is happening for you, you're actually praying more, then that does lead to another question that we might have for God, which is not God teach us to pray, but once you start praying, maybe the question becomes, okay, God, will you teach me how to pray? Because now I'm doing it, but I'm kind of fumbling along in it. I'm not sure I'm doing it the right way. Will you, will you teach me 
how to pray. And so we're going to end this series based on that question. God, will you teach us how to pray? And I don't know about y'all, but have you ever been in a situation where someone's asked you to pray? And you're like, wait, what, like, um, now? Like, out loud where others can, others can hear? And then next thing you know, you're, you're praying and you're saying something like, dear tiny little baby Jesus and your golden fleece diapers. And you're like, I don't know what I'm saying. That's a Talladega Nights reference for those who didn't get that. But um, you don't know what you're saying. You're just kind of fumbling along and you're thinking, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm saying the right words. I don't know, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to pray. I don't feel confident praying out loud because I'm afraid I'm doing it wrong. Maybe you feel that way. Or maybe some of y'all feel another tension around how to pray. Perhaps this is your tension, that you are praying. But, and perhaps you're even praying for something really dear to your heart. And you pray for it a lot. And it just doesn't feel like anything's happening. And God isn't answering those prayers the way that you feel like, you know, you want them answered. Or you just wonder, like, well, maybe, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe he hasn't answered my prayers because I'm not praying right. Like, maybe I'm not, you know, is it, is it do I, in, like, do fingers go together? Or is it, is, how do I hold the hands? Or eyes closed, bow? Or like, what words? Are there specific words I should be using? Maybe, maybe I'm just not doing it right. You ever wonder how to pray? Do you ever wonder if there's a wrong way to pray or a right way to pray? Well, you know what's interesting? According to Jesus, there is a wrong way to pray, and there is a right way to pray. But contrary to common thought, it doesn't have anything to do with what magic words you use or how you have your hands or if your eyes are closed. Now, it has everything to do with something way more important and foundational than those things. And so show you what I'm referring to, I want you to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6. And that's the passage we're going to be in this morning. And in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching on prayer. It's, in fact, it's his most famous, it's the most extensive teaching that he does on how to pray. And it's in this uh, teaching where Jesus shows us that there is a right way to pray, and there actually is a wrong way to pray. Let me read it for you, and I'll show you, uh, point out what, what he says. So Matthew 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 7. He says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay. Now, this passage has confused a lot of people over the years because it's clearly... Jesus is saying, okay, there's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. There's a wrong way, don't, don't do it like this. And there's this then, how you should pray. This is the right way. Now, some people have concluded off of this, especially verses 7 and 8, that the wrong way to pray is whenever you ask God for things. Because you can kind of draw that out of here. I mean, when it's, Jesus says, hey, don't be like the, the babbling pagans you know, who go to God with their many words. And then verse 8, he says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
So people think, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't be going to God with my, my requests because he already knows, and maybe that's what Jesus is saying is the wrong way to pray. But that's, guys, that's a wrong conclusion. Let me just be really clear on that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Here's how we know. Because in the next two sentences, he says, this then is how you should pray. And in that prayer includes asking God for things. Like multiple requests, including ask God to meet your daily needs for your, for your daily bread. So Jesus is not saying you can't ask God for things. So what is his point here? Because again, he is saying, okay, there's a, a wrong way and there's a right way. Well, here it is. It all hinges on why you think God will hear and answer your prayers. Why do you think God will hear and answer your prayers? See, that's what Jesus is getting at by contrasting these two different groups of people in these verses. See, the first group is the, the, the pagans, or what I'll refer to as the religious pagans. And the reason I'll call them the religious pagans is because when we hear that word pagans, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, we think of something different than what Jesus was using that word to describe. Because we think of that word, uh, it kind of is an off-putting kind of slang term, right? Maybe judgmental sounding towards those who are irreligious, you know, don't really want to have anything to do with God. But the people in this passage that Jesus refers to as the pagans, what are they doing? They're praying, right? And, and apparently they're praying a lot and using many words, perhaps praying more than you and I pray. They, they're, very, they're praying. They're very religious. So again, I'm using this term, religious pagans. And these people, now this is what's really important to get, to, to get. They think, as Jesus says here, that God hears and answers their prayers because of their many words. Because of their many words. They think they will be heard because of their many words. You could say that these people, they operate in a relationship with God. They think that it's based uh, on, a biz- on like a business relationship. They have a business basis for their relationship with God. Where they, if they do their part, they say the, enough prayers, they say them in the right way, they say them for the right amount of time, then God has to come through on his side of things. And he has to hear their prayers and act accordingly. And so it says, I do my part, then God will have to do his part, and then I'll do my part, and God will do his part. That's the basis for their prayers. You see that? You see that in this passage? They think they will be heard for their many words. Now, um, you could boil it down to say, God hears me based on what I do for him. So this can include how you pray, but also can include like how you're living. As long as you're living the right way and praying the right things, then God will hear my prayers and answer them. Now, he, Jesus contrasts this group with the second group. He doesn't give the second group a label. He just describes them. So I'll give them a label. I'm calling them the children. The reason I call them that is because in the description Jesus gives of them, they're the people who approach God as father. They approach God as father. And those who approach God as father believe that God will hear them, not based on what they do for him, but based on who they are to him. These people, they approach God on the basis of family. 
Not on the basis of business, I do for you, you do for me, but on the basis of family, you do for me because of who I am to you. Now, let me ask, which group of the, which ones of, which of these groups describes how you relate to God? Because here's the thing, we all... <laughs> We all have these kind of relationships in our lives, right? We have people in our life that we relate to on a business basis. And we have people in our life that we relate to on a family basis. And certainly there's gradations between the two. But, like there's, but we have people who are business. We have people who are family. Which, which one does God fall into there? Like for, let me give you an example. So um, Chris and I, we rent our house. And so we have landlords. They actually live next door to us, and they are awesome. Mike and Karen, they're just an incredible blessing. We love them. One of the reasons we love them is because they rent us our house, which is awesome, uh, for about half of what they could be getting for it. And so we really love them. Like, we, we love Mike and Karen. But when it comes down to it, Mike and Karen and Krista and I, we have a business relationship, that our relationship is based on whether or not we are paying the rent and whether or not they are letting us live in that house. And if we do not pay the rent, our relationship would sour and then eventually break altogether, right? So we get to live in that house and we have a relationship with Mike and Karen purely based on a business relationship. But Krista and I are not the only ones who live in that house. We have three kids, Camp Enoch and Della. And they haven't ever paid a stinking cent to live in that house. Bunch of freeloaders. Why does Camp Enoch and Dell, why do they get to live in the house? They live in that house purely based on a family basis, on a family relationship. They live there based not on what they do, but because of who they are. Now, again, let me ask. When you relate to God... Do you relate to him based on a business kind of mindset? I do for you, you do for me. Or based on a family kind of mindset? You do for me because of who I am to you. Now, as you evaluate that, you might think, okay, it's hard to really tell. What I think is just so fascinating about this passage is that Jesus is saying one of the number one ways you can evaluate how you relate to God, on what basis, what grounds, business or family, one of the number one ways you can evaluate is by examining your prayers. How you pray will tip you off on how you're relating to God. So in light of that, let's use this passage to evaluate how we're praying which then helps us evaluate how we're relating to God, how we think our relationship, what our relationship is based on, business, family, what I do for him, who I am to him. So if you just go to this passage, again, start in verse 7, the very first thing you can see is that uh, Jesus assumes that you're actually praying, all right? So that's, it's worth noting that if you aren't praying at all, then that's a good sign that you don't have a relationship with God. Like you don't have at least a, a growing relationship with God because you, you don't talk to someone, you don't have much of a relationship with them. So Jesus assumes you are praying. And if you're not praying, my encouragement to you would be to begin praying. That's the way you cultivate this relationship with God. 
But if you're going to begin praying, you might, again, you're asking, okay, well, by what basis should I pray? And then we go on in this passage to help us evaluate that. So the first thing you see on that side of things is that, in, again, in verse 7, Jesus says, when, uh, when you pray, do not keep babbling. So the question would be, do you babble in your prayers? Now, this word babble can also be translated using empty phrases. So it's like, do you use empty phrases? Do you, do you heap up? Do you try to butter up God? Do you use these babble? You babble, you keep using empty phrases in your talk with God, in, in the way that you talk with God. If you do, then that could tip you off that you're relating to God based on a business basis. Because here's why. Because that gets to the idea that I have to use certain words the right amount of times for the right length of time to get God to hear and answer my prayers. And I think, friends, that many of us believe that. I think that's why when we talk to God, oftentimes when we talk to God, it does not sound anything like when we talk to other people. It doesn't sound anything like what it sounds like when my children come and talk to me. See, when my children come and talk to me, they don't say this, Dearest earthly father, we first would like to thank you for your kind provision day after day and humbly acknowledge that you have the ability to grant our requests. And so in light of your great goodness to us, we just humbly beseech you, though as undeserving as we are, that in your great love and mercy, you may enable us to have some ice cream if it's your will. And we ask this in the box name because we're your kids. Amen. They never do that. That would be really weird, right? What, what do they say? They say, Dad, can we have some ice cream? And clearly, I say, yes, I want some too, way too often. But that's how they, that's how they talk to you. Don't laugh so hard. And so, see, they approach me as their dad because they are family. They don't worry about the right wording or try to use eloquent phrases. They just ask for what they want. And yes, they are respectful in how they ask, or at least we're, we're working on that. But, you know, they don't babble. They don't try to butter me up. They just talk. Friends, is that how you pray? Or do you feel the need to babble and use empty phrases to try to butter up God, thinking that you will be heard for your many words? Or do you know that he hears and answers your prayers not based on what you do for him, but because of who you are to him. Another way to evaluate this is to take that phrase, thinking they'll be heard for their many words, and to note that, that word, the word, the Greek word, many words, can also be tra- is one word, and it can also be translated anxious words. And anxious words is the idea that, okay, I'm not certain that God's actually hearing me. I'm not certain that he's actually going to do this for me. He's going to come through for me. And guys, what causes us to pray with that kind of anxiety, that kind of anxiousness? It's a lack of confidence, right? That God hears my prayers and is going to answer them. It's this idea of like, okay, well, God, like, am I actually keeping my end of the bargain? Because if you're in this business relation with God, you don't have great confidence that God's going to do what he's supposed to do if you're not confident that you've been doing what you're supposed to do, right? 
You're like, oh, I don't know if I've been praying enough, or I don't know if I've been attending the worship service enough, or if I've been reading my Bible enough, or if I've been avoiding sin enough, well, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm not certain that God's going to actually hear my prayers. I don't think I've been doing my part, so I don't think he's going to do his part. And that leads to anxious prayers, doesn't it? Like, how do you, how do you respond, friends? When God doesn't answer your prayer on the timeline that you want it answered or in the way that you want it answered. How do you respond? Do you grow anxious or do you grow angry? So you'll grow angry when you think you have been keeping your end of the bargain and now God isn't keeping his end of the bargain. Like, okay, if I'm operating on a business basis and I'm doing what I think I should be doing and I'm praying these prayers and God isn't doing what I think he should be doing, then I'll get angry at him and actually walk away from him. Friends, I know many people have walked away from the faith because of that. They've been operating on a business relationship with God. Jesus says, don't do that. That's not how we approach God. You won't be anxious or angry with God when he doesn't answer your prayers on the timeline or in the way that you want him to if you are approaching him on a family basis. Because here's why. My kids, they know that I love them. And yet, at times, I tell them, wait on some of their requests, and I tell them no to some of their requests. And they don't question that I've heard them, and they don't question if I love them most of the time. They just trust that because I'm their father, I know better than they do. I know better than they do. And friends, when you're praying, and God does not answer on your timeline or in the way that you desire, if you're approaching him on a family basis then you too can say, you know what? My father knows better than I do. And so I can be at peace with this. I can rest with this. But if you're on a, if you're on a business basis, you're either angry or you're anxious. So you feel like you either aren't doing your part or you feel like God isn't doing his part. Again, friends, let me ask. When you evaluate your prayers, what does it tell you about how you're approaching God. What does it tell you about how you're relating to God? Do you relate to him on a business basis? Do you relate to him on a family basis? The wild thing is, Jesus clearly says here that we can approach God and we should approach God. It's the right way to pray on a family basis. This, then, is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. How wild is that? But the problem, friends, is that it's so easy, it's so common to revert to a business approach to God. That to, to, to think, okay, I can have this ability to approach God as family, but often we turn and we approach him based on business, what I do for him. It's so easy to revert to that. So here's what we have to do. 
we have to intentionally embrace over and over and over again to remember over and over and over again why we can approach God on a family basis, why we can come to him as our father. Or in this passage, many of y'all know this, that word father, can all, is the word Abba also can be translated dad. And it's wild to think that we can approach God on that kind of intimate terms. He's our dad. We have to remember why that is. So here's why it is. Let's even this morning just embrace this again. Or if this is new to you, that you would hear this for the first time, maybe it would, it would really come home to your heart. This is, this is truth. This is what God tells us in his word. He says the reason we can approach him on this family basis is because he loves us so much that he gave his son. That God the Son loves us so much that he willingly gave his life. That he came to earth to live the life we have all failed to live. A perfect life, perfectly reflecting God's character. And then he died in our place, the death that we all deserve to die. For, the, for God's word says the wages of sin is death. And that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we deserved to have to pay those wages. But Jesus died in our place so that through faith we can have our sins forgiven. And hear this. And be adopted into the family of God. That you could say that our adoption is the great culmination of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Our adoption into God's family is the crescendo of our salvation. See, not only have you been rescued and saved from the penalty of sin and freed from the controlling power of sin, but you have actually been brought into God's presence as his child Adopted into the family of God. And so that's what these verses speak to. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, to all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? The children of God. The author of John wrote another letter in 1 John 3. He said this, building on that idea. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. One of my favorite passages in all scripture, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child... God has made you also an heir. Friends, when you recognize that, and when you embrace these truths, you will realize why you don't have to pray on the basis of performance, on the basis of business. But instead, you can get to pray on the basis of being family. And when you embrace the power of that truth, as it will change the way you relate to God, which will also change the way you pray 
to God. Let me just give you three examples here. That when you embrace that God has adopted you into his family, it leads you to pray, hallowed be your name. Put another way, it leads you to pray prayers of praise. And here's why. You see, you will not be moved to praise God if you feel like he only answers your prayers if you're keeping your end of the bargain, right? If your prayers are based on what you do for God, then when he does something for you, you won't respond with praise. You'll just feel like he gave you what you deserve. Like you don't praise your employer at the end of the month when they give you your paycheck, you just get angry if they didn't give it to you. You, you, you just, when they do give it to you, you just think, yeah, I, I'm getting what I deserve. It's the same way. If you think God only hears your prayers based on us, what you do for him kind of basis, that when he hears your prayers and does it, you think, okay, yeah, well, he just kept his end of the bargain. You will ever have any compulsion to praise God. You will never pray, hallowed be your name. But when you realize that the reason God hears and answers your prayers is, is, is due to who you are to him, his adopted child, you will praise him. For you will be cognizant of the truth that the only reason you are his child is because of what he did, that he did all that was required to bring you into his family. See, for adopted children do not adopt themselves. The parents do that. In this case, God the Father is the one who made it possible sent his son, Jesus died to make it so that we could be adopted into his family. And when you acknowledge that, then you'll realize that God doesn't treat you according to what you deserve, but according to his kindness and his love and his grace. And therefore you will be moved to adore and praise him. As you see, Without the understanding of why you can approach God as our Father, without our Father, there is no hallowed be your name. There would be no reason to do it. But when you get our Father, then it leads to prayers of hallowed be your name. It leads to prayers of praise. Let me give you another example. When you embrace that God has adopted you into his family, it also leads you to pray, give us, uh, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Or to put it another way, to pray prayers of trust, of great trust. And here's why. The only way you can pray your kingdom come, your will be done, is if you are absolutely sure that the person you're giving control over, your will be done, your kingdom come, is someone that you can absolutely trust. It's someone who you know absolutely loves you. When you can see all that God has done to make it possible for you through faith to be adopted into his family, to become his child and him as your father, then you know God loves you. You see how God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you're still sinners, Christ died for you, and you can add on so that you would be adopted into his family. When you know that, when you know that, then you can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. See, it, it, without our Father and what he did to make that possible, you're not praying your kingdom come, your will be done. 
Here's another way. When you embrace that God has adopted you into his family, it leads you to pray, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And here's why. What will give you the confidence to shamelessly and persistently go to God with our daily needs and our need for forgiveness? Only a relationship based on the family bond to God. See, for when you are God's child, when he is your father, then you can shamelessly and persistently go to him for these things. And you can pray, give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts. You're not going to be ashamed to have to ask him that again and again. Always worried about, well, have I done enough before I can ask him to do this for me? You say, no, he doesn't answer my prayers based on what I do for him, but on who I am to him so I can go to him again and again with my daily needs and my need for forgiveness. The other day, I was sitting at the house and on the couch, I'm watching football, and Della comes up. My, my little daughter, six years old, sits on the couch with me, and she says, and, you know, this is just past Halloween. We still have Halloween candy in our house. It's like the bane of our existence. Um, and so she says, Dad, can I have some candy? And she's already had candy. So I say, no. And I said sweetly, I said, no. <laughs> and then she says, okay. And then she walks away and then she comes back. And she says, Dad, can I please, please have some candy? I said, no, no. So then she sits up right next to me and gets in my lap. And she gives me some kisses. And then she says, now, Dad, can I have some candy? I said, no, Della, you, you can't have some candy. And then it becomes a game to her. And she is like, and she is hamming it up. If you know my daughter, she can really ham it up. And she's like, so she goes and gets costumes on. And she's like pretending to be different people asking for candy. And it's just, I mean, it's like so, so cute. And she wins. And I let her have some candy. If Della had done that to anyone else other than me or Krista, that would have been weird. It would have been annoying. That person would have walked away a long time ago and tried to find that person's parents. All right, this is weird. But no, what, what gives Della the persistence, the shameless audacity to continue again and again and again? One, a disobedient heart, because I said no, and she should have first time obedience. But second, a drill drive for candy, like a weird drive for candy. She loves candy. But the other reason is because she knew I'm her dad. And she had this shameless persistence, this audacity to ask again and again and again. Guys, why can we go to God for our daily needs, our daily bread? And admit how we fail so often Confess our sin again and again. You won't do that if you are approaching God on the basis of business, when it's all about what I do for you. But when you know that you are to approach God based on who you are to him, you will pray, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Without our Father, you won't pray that. But when you get, this is who God is and this is how we get to approach him based on what he's done for us. You'll pray, hallowed be your name. You'll pray, your kingdom come. You'll pray, give us our daily bread. I don't have time to keep going, but I could go through the rest of 
the Lord's Prayer here and show how our Father leads to all these other prayers. This is the thing. The our Father aspect of this prayer is not one aspect of prayer amongst many. It's the basis with which all the others build from. As the right way to pray is to approach God on the basis of him being our Father and we are his beloved children. The wrong way to pray is to approach God based on he only hears my prayers and answers them based on what I do for him. That's not how God operates. That's why Jesus says, do not do that. But instead, this then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Friends, we need to bathe in those truths. You need to soak that up. Let it saturate you. Because it's so easy to revert back to a business basis and how you're relating to God. You need to remember what God has done to adopt you into his family. That he is your father and that you are his child. So this week, here's my, you know, kind of, what's the point of all this? What do you want me to do with all this? Here it is. It's very simple. This week, pray. And as you pray, pray to God as your father or dad. And pray as his beloved child. And let that guide how you pray. It'll lead to prayers of praise. It'll lead to prayers of trust. It'll lead to requests for daily provision. And it'll lead you to confess your sin. It will lead you to pray without babbling. It'll lead you to not have to butter up God. It it will maybe even keep your prayers shorter because you don't feel like you need to use these many words. You'll be able to be direct. Pray. Pray is in light of God being your father. Pray as his beloved child. We're going to end this morning by taking communion. As we take communion, what we are remembering is what it cost Jesus to make it possible for us to be adopted in the family of God and approach him as our father. When we take communion, we remember what Jesus did to enable us to be adopted into the family of God. You see, in order for us to enter the family of God, we had to be bound to God by blood. And in Jesus we are. That's why he died. His body was broken, his blood was spilled. He was forsaken by the Father and laid in the grave. And then he rose again. So that through faith in him, simply trusting that he died in your place, you will be forgiven. But not just that, you will be adopted into the family of God. As we take communion, let us remember that that's what Jesus accomplished when his body was broken, his blood was spilled for us. And friends, if you've never believed that, if you've never trusted Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, I would encourage you, instead of coming to take communion, to stay in your seat and use this time to talk about that with God. And when you talk to him, here's what I would encourage you to say. God, I want you to be my father. I believe that Jesus died for me so that I could be 
brought into your family. I choose for him to be my savior. You tell him that, you believe that he did that for you, you're adopted in this moment into the family of God. And you can forever approach God on the basis of him being your father and know that you are his beloved child. Pray that you would do that now for the rest of those who have believed that. Communion table is open in the front and in the back. You can come and take it anytime during the next set of worship. And like, let's worship God. Because man, he's so good. Look what he's done for us. Look how we can approach him. Look at the confidence we can have. Not based on what we do for him, but based on who we are to him. Let's pray. Father, guys, it's such a good reminder of what a big deal it is that we can call you that. And not only can we call you Father, but you tell us we ought to call you, call you Father. It's how we should pray. We come to you on the basis of you being our Father and we, your beloved children, because of what you've done for us, not based on what we do for you. That in Christ, you paid the penalty for our sin. You set us free from the power of sin and you brought us into your presence as your child. You adopted us into your family. We are the children of God. That's who we are. It's amazing. God, would you teach us to pray in light of who we are and in light of who you are. You're our Father. We're your beloved children. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did to make it possible for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be adopted. Thanks for dying for us. Or we give you praise. Or may these songs of praise be uh, just sweet music to your ears. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.